This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Reading from Acts 28, verses 1 through 10. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and we were ready to sail. They furnished us with the supplies we needed. Amen. Ralph, you are a treasure. And uh, your voice, have you ever thought of doing like the Bible on cassette or on a CD or something? Man, I'd, I'd want to just listen to the whole thing just to hear you. Yeah. I imagine that's uh, pretty close to what the voice of God will sound like. Uh, because Ralph Fondell is a man of God. And we are grateful. And uh, Gert... Thank you for the two of you. Hank and Lil, um, thank you. We are blessed in this church to have such a, a wonderful legacy, uh, to have those who have gone before us, who have served faithfully, who continue to serve, those who uh, were involved in the founding of this church. Um, the Reynolds, are they here this morning? There you are. Thank you so much. Another family in the church that um, has served not only this church, but uh, the covenant in Alaska. As I said, we are so blessed um, that we have such a great foundation that our church has been built upon and really role models for us as we follow Jesus, as we pursue Christ and his priorities in the world. You know, that's what it means to be healthy, to pursue Christ and missional to pursue his priorities in the world. And we at Community Covenant want to be a healthy, missional church. We want to pursue Christ. We want to pursue his priorities in the world. And we have wonderful examples of what that means. And we're grateful for you. Um, it was back in 2005 
that I was serving at um, a church that was a part of another denomination in Northern California. And uh, we had been associated with Covenant Pastors at one time when I had been the uh, executive director of Prison Fellowship Ministries in Northern California. We actually attended uh, a Covenant church. So the Covenant was very familiar um, to Lori and I. We started going to a Covenant church probably in 1992. But in 2005, we were looking to make a change uh, to leave the denomination that we had been a part of and the church where we were serving. And we were invited to go to uh, a Covenant uh, minister's event called Midwinter. Uh, every year it happens at the end of January, the very beginning of February, and covenant pastors and those who serve in covenant churches uh, from around the country and, and sometimes from around the world go to midwinter. And at midwinter, there is a real emphasis on uh, caring for yourself, for being equipped and ministered to. Um, it's a great time. It's a great time of collegiality uh, with uh, covenant clergy and those who serve in our denomination. So I was invited to attend uh, this midwinter event in 2005, uh, not as a covenant clergy, but as someone exploring the opportunity of maybe coming into the covenant as a pastor. And I attended midwinter, and there were several events that had been planned for persons like myself or for churches that were considering entering into the covenant denomination. And while I was there, uh, on the first evening, they had a group of persons like myself that were kind of exploring what it, what it might be like to, to be a covenant pastor. And I met this man. I wished I had written down his name. But he left an impression on me um, that to this day I think about. Uh, I shook his hand, and we introduced ourselves to one another. And he asked me uh, where I was from and what brought me to the midwinter. And I told him I'd been serving at a, at, a, at a large church in Sacramento as the executive pastor, but really the, the season of service there was coming to a close, and my wife and I, Lori, felt that it was time to really be open, perhaps, to God's leading us into the covenant denomination to be a pastor. And he listened to me, and then he looked at me, and he said, well, you know, he said, I'd, I'd like to say that I'm the pastor of a large church. I'd like to say that um, my church is growing and that it's dynamic and that it's the kind of church that the covenant denomination would just really want to welcome. He says, but I can't say that. And then he began to describe his experience as a pastor in a small Midwestern church. And he said, you know, basically for almost the last 20 years, I've served the same 70, 75 people. There hasn't been a, a lot of growth. Not too many people move in or out of my community. But I've served them. I've had the privilege of baptizing children and 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 performing marriages. Uh, I've been by people uh, at their bedside when they've been dying. Um, and he went on to explain the life 
his life as a pastor in this small Midwestern town, in this small church. And as I was listening to him, there was almost an apology, as if somehow he came to this conference hoping that perhaps he could become a covenant pastor or his church could come into the covenant. But somehow, um, as he described his ministry, he felt that it really fell short, perhaps, of what the covenant was looking for because it wasn't, quote, dynamic or successful in the way that the world, or perhaps even we as Christians, sometimes look at church, right? And I've thought about him many, many times uh, because uh, I ended up coming into the covenant and our very first church in the covenant denomination was a small community church. We had gone from a very large church, right? A regional kind of a church. And our first church in the covenant where we served eight and a half years um, was to a smaller community church. And uh, I'll tell you something. There are challenges in that context that large church pastors, they don't have a clue, all right? When something happens in a church like that, it's like dropping a boulder in the middle of a small pond. I mean, the ripples touch and impact everyone. Uh, there is a dynamic, uh, a dynamic of care that's needed. Uh, it's just different. It's different. But I have to tell you, it's no less significant, no less significant than the pastor who pastors in a church of five or six hundred or three or four thousand. Okay? It's just different. Um, when I think of that pastor and I think of his faithfulness and I reflect upon uh, midwinter conferences or other Christian conferences that we go to. Have you ever noticed how a lot of times it's the, the pastor or the leader of the, the big church or the large ministry that gets up and is the speaker? Have you ever noticed that? It's true, isn't it? And you know, I think about that pastor. And I think, you know what? That's a man that ought to be standing up at a conference. That's a man that, that needs to be a, a plenary keynote speaker at Midwinter Conference. Because there's something that we can all learn about his faithfulness, about his commitment to his congregation, to be a shepherd of his flock, to walk with people through the seasons of life. Man, that is good stuff his commitment to those people the the perseverance of of meeting challenges and facing adversity with them in a small ministry context where people except for those who are being immediately touched it goes unnoticed and can seem really insignificant okay man i want to learn something from a person like that there's something to be learned about faithfulness, about long-suffering, about perseverance, about what it means to be a servant from a person like that. Well, why do I bring him up? 
because he reminds me of something that Mother Teresa said. It's one of my favorite quotes. Perhaps you're familiar with it. Uh, Mother Teresa said this, God calls us to faithfulness, not success. God calls us to faithfulness, not success. You see, faithfulness in God's economy is success. Do you know that? But not all success in the world's understanding is a result of faithfulness. Can you see that? Can, can you discern and distinguish the difference there? And that's exactly what we're seeing in our passage today. As we're coming to the end of our study in the book of Acts, we are looking at a person, the Apostle Paul, who has seen it all as he has traveled throughout Asia Minor and Southern Europe, planting churches, as he has ministered the gospel, as he has equipped uh, emerging Christian leaders to lead those churches. This is a man that has faced all kinds of adversity. This is a man who, in the midst of adversity and challenge, has remained faithful to what he understood his call to be. This is a person that never had a, a large church in a metropolitan community. Do you know that? He planted a bunch of small churches in large cities. And yet, in the midst of the adversities, in the midst of the challenges that we've read about, that, that we've seen in particular... Uh, moving forward from Acts chapter 10 here to the end in Acts chapter 28, we have seen this man again and again and again show up. Show up to be faithful uh, to the gospel, to his faith in Christ, and to impart that faithfully to others. Uh, and we see that. God calls us to faithfulness, not success. And so if we are to measure success by the world's standards, how successful do you think the Apostle Paul would have been? He was an author, but he had a very limited distribution of his writing at that time, right? He planted churches, but none of them grew to be megachurches. He worked to equip leaders, those who could lead others uh, in their faith in following Jesus. But as we've read and as you read his, uh, his pastoral letters, his epistles, not everybody he spent time with um, stuck with it. Not all of them became great leaders. And yet, he continued to faithfully serve. And I could go on and on and on. In fact, it is his faithfulness in the midst of the good and the bad that call us to really think about what it means to be godly, to pursue Christ and his priorities in the world in the, in the face of challenges as, as he faced. You know, our lives aren't dissimilar from his, that God has called us to pursue Christ and his priorities wherever he has placed us in the world. And uh, there are times that uh, are very challenging for us. There are times personally, there are times when those around us 
present challenges. There are adversities. Things don't always go the way we'd like them to. Sometimes they do. And those are great times. We celebrate those. But often they don't. But when we're faithful, we need to celebrate that as well. And we see that in the ministry of the Apostle Paul in Acts 27. We remember last week, he is traveling now to Rome and he's aboard ship. Um, and there was a great storm uh, that transpired. Uh, the centurion in charge of the Roman guard, it was a Roman grain ship that these prisoners were on, that they were traveling on. The Roman centurion and the, the owner of the ship had been advised by Paul not to travel and yet they decided to travel anyway and they traveled in the part of the year, it was about October, in the Mediterranean where it was known for severe storms. And of course, last week we read about that nor'easter, that, that hurricane force storm uh, that caused the, the crew of the ship to be fearful and they had all given up hope. And do you remember what the Apostle Paul did last week? In the midst of all of that, he received a vision from the angel of the Lord reminding him that God was with him and that God would allow him to get to Rome. And he took that hope that God had given to him and he then gave it to others. In fact, as he did that, he won the favor of the, the centurion, the, the one who was in charge of the Roman guard. In fact, in chapter 27, we see that, that there are three things that Paul does. Three things that, that earn him favor uh, with um, the Roman guard and with some of the crew and with the other prisoners. Number one, it's wisdom. He was willing to impart the wisdom that God had given him. And he had shared that wisdom, even though they didn't take advantage of it, even though they uh, uh, ignored it, and they set sail anyway. When the storm came, and he began to then give them hope, which is the second thing he did, they were willing to listen, weren't they? Because they had come to understand that this was a wise man. And where they had failed in their judgment, his judgment was sound. And so that gave him a platform, a platform to share his hope and the hope that God had given him. And as he did that, the scripture goes on to say that he actually served the prisoners and the crew aboard ship. And so there are three things that he did that are models for us. Number one, he brought wisdom into that situation, God's wisdom. Then he brought God's hope. And then he modeled Christ-like service. And those three things earned him favor, which is going to be very important as we move here into Acts chapter 28. It's because of that. It went out. No, is it back? Okay, thank you. It went out momentarily. It's because of those three things that when the ship was approaching uh, this island that the sailors, the crew, weren't familiar with. It was called Malta. And uh, as we read here in Acts chapter 28, they are going to get rid of their anchors. They're going to throw everything overboard. And they're wanting the wind and the storm to take them uh, in towards this bay in Malta. Now, Malta is island that is 17 miles long, it's 9 miles wide, and it's 60 miles south of Sicily, okay? And uh, in fact, the bay where they eventually, the ship comes and breaks apart, and the men are going to swim ashore, that bay to this day is known as 
St. Paul's Bay. Did you know that? Okay. And uh, recently, uh, maritime archaeologists have recovered an anchor off the coast there that they can date back to the time of this story. And some think it may have been one of the anchors that were dropped. Okay? Wonderful thing about the Christian faith is it is a historic faith. And the more and more we discover archaeologically in, in history, it validates writings of Scripture like that of Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts. And they're saying, wow, what an accurate account. And we're finding archaeological things now that, that verify the veracity or the truth of, of what was written, even here in the book of Acts. And so, as the ship was falling apart, and the crew and the prisoners were, were thinking about what they were to do next, it says that some of the Roman guard wanted to kill all of the prisoners. Why? Because they didn't want them to escape. Because if they were to escape, then we know that uh, they could be put to death for losing a prisoner. But because Paul had demonstrated wisdom, had given hope, and had served them, he had won the favor of the centurion who said, no, don't do that. Let the prisoners go. Let them swim ashore. And so Paul and all the, swimmer, uh, all the prisoners were able to swim ashore and once they got ashore, they were free to move about, as evidenced by the fact that Paul was collecting wood to, to gather uh, for And as he was placing the wood on the fire, the scripture says that a viper, a serpent, came out and, and bit him. Now, the islanders, by the way, the, the word that is used for islander here actually means barbarian because in the Greek world a non-Greek was considered a barbarian. Did you know that? So uh, these islanders saw this happen and they thought, ah, this man Paul must be a murderer. He must have done something really wrong and he escaped death at sea so now the goddess named Justice is going to make sure that justice is served and he's going to lose his life. But he didn't. In fact, what happens? Nothing. He wasn't impacted at all. And so they went from thinking that Paul was a murderer to thinking that, wow, he must be a what? A god. Well, it wasn't that he was a god. It was that he was a godly man. And they saw that. And he was then taken to the Roman governor of the island who had a father who was ill. I said he had a fever and dysentery. Well, we know from history that um, many on the island of Malta would drink goat's milk that was infected with a microbe. And that microbe in the goat's milk would create a fever and a dysentery. And apparently this is what this man was suffering from. And as a result, uh, Paul goes and lays hands on him and he's healed. So... There is a proclamation of the gospel, but there's a demonstration that goes along with it that speaks to the truth of the message of the gospel. And we see that happen. And then it says this as we come to the um, 10th verse of chapter 28. It says that as a result of Paul and his ministry, of his godliness, remember this is a man who's seen the good and the bad, and yet he remains godly, committed to Christ, living for Christ, 
He shares his wisdom. He shares his hope. And he's a servant. And as a result, he wins over the islanders. He wins over the Roman governor of the island. And what do they do? They provide for him and for the other prisoners. They care for them. And three months later, when they get ready to set sail for Rome, which they'll get to, and Paul there in Rome will give his sixth and final defense that Luke records in Acts to Jews from Rome. He gives his defense and a hearing concerning his ministry in the Christian faith. These islanders are going to send him off well supplied and well equipped. Okay? And he does get to Rome. He perseveres in the, in the small things and in the large things. In the good and the bad, he's committed what to his walk with Jesus Christ to godliness. And you know what's interesting? If you were on a, a church selection committee and you were looking for the next pastor and you received a resume and you heard this, I've been in prison frequently, been flogged severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own people, in dangers from uh, all people, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from false believers. I have labored, toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Who is weak and I... Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is not led into sin and I do not burn inwardly? But if I must boast, I boast on things that show my weakness. That's the Apostle Paul's resume. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. A very personal account of what he thinks qualifies him to be an apostle, to be a leader in the church. You see, there are those that would question him. You know why they questioned him? Because he never created anything grand. He wasn't successful in a worldly sense. But you know what Paul does? He pulls out his resume and in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, on the contrary, it's all these things. The things that the world doesn't understand, the things that the world would overlook, the things that the world doesn't value, that really are a testimony to who I am and what I'm about and pursuing Christ and his priorities in the world. You see, he saw the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yet, regardless of the circumstance, it provided him an opportunity to share the wisdom of God, to share the hope of God, and what? To model Christ's likeness by serving in the name of God. And that made a huge difference. No, even in his day, like the pastor I started with this morning telling you about. People questioned whether or not he was really successful or whether or not he was really qualified to do what he was doing. And yet, it was his faithfulness in the good and in the bad that he was committed to being godly. And what a model that is for you and for me and for our church as we pursue Christ and his priorities in the world As the worship team comes forward,
I want to close with a a story. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Perhaps you're not. It's of a missionary couple. The last name, I believe, was Morrison. They were long-term missionaries that spent several decades in Africa in the latter part of the 1800s. As they were coming home from their service on the mission field, aboard ship, as the ship docked in port, they noticed there were crowds of people. There were bands. People were cheering. They were applauding. And he thought to himself, wow, people hadn't forgotten about us. We've been gone all this time, and all these people are here to to welcome us and to greet us. But what they didn't know is that President Theodore Roosevelt, who was a big game hunter, he was a member of the safari club of his time, he was returning from Africa. And all those people there were to herald the success and the fame and the glory of President Roosevelt. And so this missionary and his wife, they left the ship unnoticed. And as they got back to their small little apartment that had been given to them by the mission board, they were barely uh, able to survive financially, almost destitute. He struggled. Why, God? Why, God? Why could you allow me to serve all these years and no one takes notice? Why, God? Why, God? Could I serve faithfully and yet I feel like such a failure? Why, God? Wasn't there anyone there to greet my wife and I? to show that they cared about us as we came home from 30 years of service. And this missionary reported that as he was on his knees crying out to God, that it was as if God tapped him on the shoulder and said these words to him. It's because you're not home yet. God calls us to faithfulness, not success. But there will come a day when we are home and in God's economy we will be celebrated. And we'll hear these words, well done, my good and faithful servant.